Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Please join us at 9 and 11 a.m. at the Somerville Campus and 11 a.m. at the North Charleston and Remount Campuses. Thank you. We hope you are blessed through listening. Now, we have been looking together at God's Word at the book of Thessalonians. And we are on 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 today. And we're going to look at a little, little bit different kind of freedom. A freedom that they sang about just a moment ago. A freedom from sin. A freedom from bondage. A freedom from the enemy. A freedom from oppression. And so we'll be looking at that this morning in God's Word. So take your Bibles out and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning. And while you're turning, let me just tell you a real quick story. An eight-year-old girl came up to her father and said, uh, Daddy, what is sex? And the father thought for a moment and thought, you know what, if she's old enough to ask this kind of question, then she's old enough to get a direct answer, and so I'm going to give her one. So he proceeded to tell her all about the birds and the bees and all that went into that. And after he finished, his little eight-year-old daughter's mouth was hanging open. The color had rushed from her face and left her face, and she's pale. And the father looked at her and said, "Uh, Honey, why did you ask that question? And the daughter said, Well, Mom told me to go tell you dinner will be ready in just a couple of secs. (laughs) Well... Let me, let me put a little disclaimer on this message. If you have little eight-year-old girls in here, uh, this may be a good morning for you to avail yourself to our Faith Kids Ministry. Got a wonderful, wonderful children's church ministry in the back building. And so I would say children all the way up through about 11 years of age ought to be back in children's church today with Pastor Jonathan. He does a wonderful job. Your kids will love it because I want to talk very frankly and very openly about what the Word of God talks about in this area of sexual purity. And so we will be looking at that today from God's Word. You know, it's ironic that in a society surrounded by all kinds of sexual images, sex education, sexual discussion, sexual talk, it's like when you get to church, nobody wants to talk about it. We can talk about it in the world all day long, but you come into the house of God and you say, you know what, I really don't want to hear about this. But let me tell you, when the church is silent on this subject, it is very dangerous because we are left to fumble around and follow the world's mores about sexual purity and what God's word about what. And so our kids learn, they learn about sexuality from television They learn about sexuality from the movies or what they hear at school or their equally messed up friends who are all around them. Uh, But I will tell you, we need to be very open and frank about it in the church. If we want our young people to learn about sexual purity, about morality, and about what God's word has to say and how we can maintain and keep ourselves sexually pure. And I will tell you, the apostle Paul did not hesitate to talk about it in God's word. So let's take a look together. Let's stand together and let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as we continue in our study. And we're going to learn about love, lust, and freedom today and sexual purity from God's Word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and how you ought to please God. 
For you know what the commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, and we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Father, this morning as we look at your word, I pray that you will open up our hearts, our minds this morning, our understanding as we study this scripture together. As we look at your word, I I pray that you will help us. I pray for those who have been involved in any kind of sexual immorality, whatever it may be. I pray this morning in this service, they will find freedom. They will find liberty in you, Lord Jesus. I thank you that your grace abounds all the more today. I pray, God, you'll teach us from your word this morning. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look fabulous, and then you may be seated. Now, it's very clear from the scripture that I just read to you that God wants us to have sexual purity. Now, some of you right now may be kind of tuning me out. You say, this doesn't apply to me. Preach it strong, preacher. Preach to my neighbor down the road. Preach to those teenagers. Really pound the young people. I will tell you whether you're 18 or 25 or 45 or 65, you need to hear this today. It is for every single one of us in the house this morning. And so listen very carefully. And I just want to talk about how do you maintain sexual purity. I want to give you three things, and I, I will tell you right now, I'm not going to get through this entire sermon, so don't get nervous. We'll finish it up next Sunday morning. Uh, how do you maintain sexual purity? Number one, recognize Jesus is the authority. You've got to recognize who your authority is. Recognize that Jesus Christ is the authority. Look at verse 2. For you know what the commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. You know the commandments. Now, now, now Paul says, you know the commandments of the Lord, and yet Paul has to deal with this again. And you've got to ask yourself, why, why does Paul take time? Why didn't he, this letter that he writes to the Thessalonians, why does he take time and spend on this subject, uh, on sexual immorality in the church? Because in Thessalonica, it was a major problem. Let me tell you about that culture. Remember, this is a very new church. These believers are about one year old in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was common in in the Thessalonian culture for them to take several wives, not just one wife, but many different kinds of wives. Uh, Remember, Thessalonica was a city that was given over to idolatry, and they had their temples, and they had their pagan worship. And in every temple that you would go in to worship their gods or their idols or their statues, uh, immorality was a part of their worship. And they had both male prostitutes and female prostitutes, and Anything went, and it was just a kind of a whole part of this 
whole worship of their gods and their idols. Slaves were very common in that culture, but they were often used for sexual gratification. And these new Gentile converts have grown up in this sexually charged environment, this sexually charged anything goes culture. And so Paul takes time and he addresses it again and he spells out the entire subject. Now, I want to ask you a question. We don't sound like we're that far off from the Thessalonians in America today. We are just as messed up in America as that society was. We live in a society where uh, sex and sexual imagery is rampant. Anywhere you turn, uh, anywhere you look, uh, you you can't avoid facing it. Take a look at this video clip I want to show you right now. I think we have it ready. grow up around people with ideas and images and all this stuff kind of gets in our brain and we are fed this by the media, by everything we see, everything we watch, everything we hear. And the problem is, if we are not careful, we will become desensitized. It will just become commonplace and ordinary and Pretty soon people think, you know, there's nothing wrong with this or that. And, and, and the, the sexual explicitness of our society, those images, those ideas, they get in our brains, they get in our minds, and they will begin to shape who we are. And if they shape who we are and our ideas, they will begin to shape our homes, they will shape our church, and even our nation. And so the question today is, who or what is shaping your mind In this area of sexuality. Who is your authority? 
Who's forming your attitudes, your minds, your conversations, your sexual practices? You see, when you discover who or what is shaping you, then you have discovered who your real authority is. And my point to this morning is, Jesus Christ has got to be our chief authority. Ladies, if it's uh, for you, it's your daytime soap operas, or the latest talk show, or whoever uh, is made, or, or romantic novels, or whatever it may be, then if that is shaping your sexual uh, mores, then that becomes your authority. Uh, teenagers, for many, it's their schools. And schools have taken a more aggressive role in shaping sexual attitudes than ever before. And so in the schools, they'll talk about birth control and sex education. And there's an open acceptance of homosexuality in our schools. Uh, And so the school becomes a mover and shaker of our identity. And then certainly television and movies and the Internet are huge shapers of, uh, of our sexual thinking, of who we are in this whole area. And uh, I don't have to remind you about Anthony Weiner and Brett Favre and all that kind of crazy, stupid stuff that's going on today that you could have never dreamed or imagined. And yet it's beginning to shape our ideas. And sometimes our authority will be just simply our very own lust. We kind of like live in a culture where whatever I want to do and whatever I want to think and wherever I want to go, I make my own value system and I become my own authority. The problem is every one of those authorities change. They, they, They vary from person to person. The only authority that transcends time, that transcends culture, the only authority that is the same yesterday, today, and forever is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's why we can only rest and lean upon his authority. And his authority, the Bible says, is above and over every other authority. So who's your authority? He can be the only standard, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who decides, think about this with me for a moment if you would, who decides if sex outside of marriage is wrong? Who decides if homosexuality is wrong? Who decides on issues like abortion? Who decides on issues like incest? Or what about pornography? Who said pornography is bad? Or, or is it wrong to lust after another woman? Or, or what harm is there in that? Isn't that a pretty innocent kind of thing? Or what constitutes a real marriage? Can't we just live together and won't that work? And, and is really marriage necessary? Is it necessary to go through that whole kind of form and ritual we have surrounding marriage. Uh, Now, the problem is, you may think some of those things are wrong, but someone else may think some of those things are okay. They're not really all that bad. And so the problem is, who is right? We've got one person believes this and one who believes that. The problem is, there has to be one authority that is over all other authority that transcends time, that transcends culture, that transcends you and me, and that only authority can be the Lord Jesus Christ. And if if we're going to get this handle on this whole thing of sexual purity, then we've got to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and what his word has to say and teach about it. And so he opens up in verse number one, and he says, we want to show you how you ought to walk and how you can please God. And so Paul writes to Thessalonians, and he says, I want to show you in God's word how you can please the Lord Jesus Christ, how you can please God, how he can be your one and only authority. 
Man, when it comes to your sexual desires, is Jesus Christ your sole authority? When you're in private, when you're all by yourself, when no one else is watching, does his word dictate your actions and your behavior and your desires, or are you allowing some other authority to be your moral compass? Who's your authority? Now, when you think about it, after all, the really the only one qualified to be our authority is the Lord Jesus Christ because he created it. He's the author. He made it up. It's all God's. Genesis chapter 1. Go to Genesis 1. Look at verse number 27. It says, he created male and female, created he them. Sexuality, by its very nature, the division of sexes, male and female, and the way he designed our bodies, the way he created the whole thing to begin with, was God's creation. It was all God's wonderful, glorious idea. Girl came up and was talking to her grandmother. I said, Grandma, how old are you? The grandmother looked back and says, Dear, you shouldn't ask that question. Grown-ups don't like to tell their age. Okay, she left the room and a little inquisitive. She came back the next day and said, Grandma, how much do you weigh? Grandmother said, Honey, you shouldn't ask grown-ups how much they weigh. It's not polite. The next day, the girl came back with a big smile on her face. And she said, Grandma... I know how old you are. You're 62 years old. And I know how much you weigh. You weigh 140 pounds. And the, and the grandma looked back and says, my goodness, how did you know that? And she says, well, you left your driver's license on the table and I read it. Grandma said, well, that's how you found out. And then the girl said, that's right. And I also see on your driver's license that you got an F in sex. God created male, and he created female. He designed it. He created it uniquely in God's creative genius, creative mind. He he creates this whole thing of, of sexuality. In fact, God's first words after that was he said, be fruitful and multiply. And so he says, you know what? I'll create man and woman, male and female, and then I'll tell them to be sexual and create and be fruitful and multiply. After each day of creation, when you look at the Genesis account, God makes, you know, the, the, the birds and he, he makes the, the, the sun and the moon and then he says it's good. And he makes the, the, the birds and the fish and he says it's good. He makes all the animals that walk on the face of the earth. It's good. And then he says he creates male and female. He used a little bit different word in the Hebrew language. He said it is very good. Very good. Man and female are the most unique creations that God made and God formed. Uh, and you come down to the end of Genesis chapter 2 and 25 and he says they were both naked. The man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Adam and Eve, listen to me, enjoyed a sexual relationship the way God originally made it. It was the most purest form. It's the way God created it. He said they were both naked, and they were not ashamed. They were completely open with one another. They were completely vulnerable. There was no deceit involved. There was no mask that they put on. There was no game playing. There was no hiding. Uh, There was no shame whatsoever. He says they were both naked and they were not 
ashamed. Their sexuality was not loaded with a lot of baggage of past sins. Listen to me. Of previous mistakes they had made along the way. It was not tied up with a lot of wrong or selfish motives. It was totally open and free and the most beautiful sexual experience that God ever made or God ever created. He said they were naked and they were unashamed. Now, in our culture, it's hard to imagine such a condition because sex has been so perverted. Our our minds have been so messed up. It has been so twisted. And what God created is a wonderful, incredible, amazing gift. Sometimes it's almost unrecognizable because we go to Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1. Look at it, if you will. It says, and now the serpent was more cunning than all the other animals. And this, this snake, this serpent, the devil himself, slithers into the garden. He comes to where Adam and Eve is, and he begins to deceive them, and he's going to start right away messing up their relationships. Now, jump down, if you would, to Genesis 3 and 6 and 7. This is what I want to read to you. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of it her fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Now listen to me. The first thing that Satan attacked, the first thing the serpent attacked, was their sexual intimacy. Now, for the first time, because sin comes in, sin enters the picture. The Bible says now they were naked and ashamed. And now they tried to hide themselves. The first dysfunction of the human race as a result of sin was a dysfunction in sexual relations. Did you see that in God's Word? It was a dysfunction between a husband and a wife. And now what was open, and now when they were unashamed before, before sin enters the picture, now they are full of shame, and they begin to hide themselves from each other. And they become less God-conscious and less others-conscious, and they become more self-conscious because of sin. The Bible said they hid themselves. Now, let me tell you, the hiding of themselves implies more than just covering their bodies, uh, but they begin to hide from each other emotionally, they begin to hide from each other spiritually, and they begin to hide from God as well. Why? Because sin came in. What am I trying to say? Sin messes up what God created to be good and beautiful and wonderful. God says, I give you this gift. It is glorious. It is wonderful. It is my creation. It is very good. There's no shame attached to it. It is my gift to male and female. But he says there's a problem. When sin comes in, sin messes it up. And sin brings guilt and shame and condemnation and and, and the hiding of ourselves one from another. It, it, It disrupts the sexual intimacy that God intends for you to have to the very fullest in a marriage relationship. Why did Satan attack human sexuality first? Because he's going to hit mankind where he can do the most damage. And previously, 
and preciously where God would hurt the most as well because when he attacks our relationships with one another, then he's also attacking our relationship with God because our intimacy with God is directly connected to our intimacy with one another. God made it. God designed it. Satan came in and messed it up. And so because we live in a sin-messed-up world today, it has been messed up and twisted all around us. Now jump back, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse number 7 again. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. You see, all the messed up perversion in the world doesn't change the fact that God created sex. And God gave it to us as a gift from him. The Bible is all about redemption. Now, Jesus Christ came to undo what Satan did in the garden. Jesus Christ came to undo what Satan messed up and bringing sin into the world. And so Christ is a redemptive God, and he wants to redeem us, body, soul, and spirit. He not only redeems us spiritually, he redeems our bodies, he redeems our souls, and he redeems our sexuality. And that's the good news this morning. And that's what this really is all about today, is redeeming our sexuality. The Bible is all about redemption. When man fell, he is separated from God by his sin. But God has a unique plan to redeem us and to recapture us for himself through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has a plan to redeem us sexually as well and make it totally great again and so you've got to begin you've got to start out by by recognizing if i'm going to maintain my sexual purity who is my authority who am i following who am i listening to who who who's the one who's guiding me in this whole area it has got to be the lord jesus christ paul says i write this so you know how to please god now if we're going to follow his guidelines for sexual freedom second We've got to follow God's will and understand God's will. And look at verse number three and the first part of that verse. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, when, when one of the most frequently asked questions for a pastor is, or anybody is, how do I know God's will? You've asked that before. And usually you're talking about God's will and what we would might term the big stuff. How do I know when it's God's will for me to marry somebody or if that's the right person? Or how do I know if it's God's will for me to take this job or move to this city? Or how do I know if it's God's will for me to buy this house or that house? And we spend a lot of time trying to figure out what God's will is in these big particular areas of our life. But I will tell you, God is very clear about what his will for us is every single day of our life. He said, this is the will of God for you, even our sanctification. God's will is that you be holy. That we be holy and lead holy lives. The word sanctification carries the same idea as the word holiness. There's actually two parts to this word sanctification when we think about the will of god the first part is this that when we're sanctified we're set apart from the world we are set apart from sin but we also are set apart to the lord jesus christ and to god's 
perfect will to God and to holiness. And so that's what this word sanctification is all about. Now he gives us three things that he's going to talk about in this area of sanctification with the Thessalonians. The first is found right after that. He says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Okay, what is that? That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That's the first part. This is God's will for every single one of his children that you should abstain from fornication in the King James Version and the New King James Version from sexual immorality. Now, the word there, sometimes we think in the terms of fornication is premarital sex. And so, so that's what God is saying. You should not have sex before you're married. Now, definitely that is implied there. That's a part of it. But it's a lot broader word than that because the word fornication in the Greek language comes from the word pornea. That's where we get our word pornography from. And so what this word uh, fornication is describing is all kinds of, all various kinds of sexual immorality. All kinds of sexual immorality. And, and the word of God, Paul says, stay away from it. Abstain from it. In another place, he'll say, flee it and run from it. Do, every, do anything you can to stay away from anything that looks like or has the appearance of of sexual immorality. Now let me just, I'm not going to share a lot of statistics. I've done that before, and time will not permit today. And sometimes when I start giving the statistics, you just kind of tune me out. But let me give you a couple of quick ones. There was a confidential survey of 350 Christian men. These are men who identified themselves as Christians. 64% struggle with sexual addiction or compulsion, including pornography or sexual self-gratification, or other secret sexual activity. 64%. Two-thirds of Christian men say they have some kind of trouble with either some kind of form of sexual immorality, whether it be pornography, self-gratification, adultery, uh, premarital sex, whatever it might be. 64%. 25% of Christian men who were married said at some time during their marriage life they have already been involved in an adulterous affair. One out of every four Christian men. And when we think about those kind of statistics, it's mind-boggling, and that's why we've got to address it in the church. That's why we can't avoid it and not talk about it. Pornography. Rampant. America today. I, uh, some people say, what's the harm? Just a little bit's not going to hurt me. Just a few images here, a few images there. It's really not going to hurt me much. Let me tell you a little story about uh, Ken and his mother. And they were preparing. She was getting ready. She's cooking the salad for the evening meal. She's putting all the ingredients in. And her son says, Mom, everybody's going out to a movie tonight, and I want to go with them, and, uh, and can I go? And so the mother turned around and looked and said, uh, Son, isn't that an R-rated movie? And he said, You know what? There's just really only one bad scene in that movie, and uh, it's really not going to hurt. He knew the rules in the house were they were not supposed to go to any movie stronger than a PG, and, uh, and she's there making the salad. And he says, It's just only one bad scene. And so without saying a word, she goes over into the trash can, digs some trash out of the trash can, and begins to go over and mix it into the salad and continues to stir it all up. 
And one of the kids says, Mom, what are you doing? They said, well, I'm just mixing a little bit in here. A little bit really won't hurt. And without that, Ken never said another word. He got the point. He didn't go. And if you see, if we're not careful, we begin to deceive ourselves, and we begin to think a little bit's really not going to hurt. It's really not going to matter that much in the whole scheme of things. And, and we kind of begin to justify what we're doing. But the Bible says this is the will of God, even your sanctification, even your holiness. You're not supposed to see how close to the world you can get, but how far away you can get. A little bit, a little bit of garbage, a little bit of trash getting into your mind. But the Bible says we are to be set apart holy and pure, set apart for God's service and God's perfect will. We're not to engage ourselves in any of the garbage of this world. Let's take a little test. You guys are kind of, I know you're thinking about it, but you're scaring me the way you're looking at me. Take a little test. Do you men, ladies, Do you, uh, let's, let's go to the men first. Do you look at an attractive lady when she walks by or you see her in the marketplace, you see her somewhere else or she heads in your direction, do you secretly think about what it might be like to be with that woman? Uh, Have you men and ladies found your husband or your wife sexually gratifying? Do you seek sexually arousing pictures out of magazines and maybe you want to you, you, you gaze at the billboard a little bit too long or you want to go through the magazines and you look at those pictures and they get in your brain. Do you have behaviors, private behaviors, secret behaviors in your life that you can't share with your wife? Do you visit pornographic sites on the Internet? Do you watch sexually charged movies or videos? Turn, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 6. The problem is that is really just the tip of the iceberg. And we begin to desensitize ourselves, and we think everybody else is doing it, and a little bit's really not going to hurt. Listen to what Solomon had to say, the, the, the writer of this, Proverbs 26 and 27. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? Listen, when the word of God says abstain from sexual immorality, it carries the idea of stay away as far as you can, rebuke it, don't let get involved in it in any way, shape, or form, because the writer of Proverbs says it will take you down. It will destroy you. And here's the goes back to the first point if jesus christ is really your authority if he is really number one in your life uh, then we've got to accept his will and he says this is the will of god concerning you even your sanctification and he goes on and he says this is what your sanctification is all about abstain from sexual immorality this is not me saying this it is god he says in verse 2, for this is the commandment of the Lord. It is God's word. It is God's command. You must recognize his authority and accept his will. And when you recognize his authority and then you begin to accept his will for your life, then his wants and his desires uh, uh, become primary in your life. And my wants and my desires and my lust take a second seat to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's first, number one. 
And so when your body is screaming and raging in conflict with the word, his word must win out. So we take the high road of, high road of sexual integrity and purity by putting God and his word first in our lives. It's a, it's a matter of priority. Now he goes on to say, if you look back at this passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, uh, for this is the will of God, you should abstain from sexual morality, number one. That's a part of your sanctification. Number two, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and in honor. And so the second part of that is, God says, take control of your bodies. You are responsible. No one else can do it for you. And so he says in verse 4, you, believer, you, Christ follower, now you take control of your body. It's a part of your sanctification. Verse number 4, it is very, very clear. No one else can do it for you. Listen to Romans 6 and verse 12. He talks about your bodies. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lusts. You see, you have a choice. You don't have to cave in. You don't have to do what everybody else is doing. You don't have to entertain those thoughts and desires anymore. He says, Paul says, take control of your bodies. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. Look at verse number 5. Not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, lost people are out of control sexually. But Paul says, but not us. The world may act like that. You may see it all around you. But he said, this is not us. We are not like the rest of the Gentiles anymore. I have been redeemed out of that lifestyle. And Paul says to Thessalonians, now you're saved. Now you're Christ followers. Don't go back anymore to the places you used to go. Don't do the same things you used to do. Don't act like just all the rest of the other Gentiles do. You are now a child of God. There should be a difference. Therefore, maintain your bodies. You see, we, we, we tend to make excuses. We say, well, they're teenagers and their hormones are out of control. And they really can't help themselves. Now, listen, I will tell you, this is what the public school system, this is the lie they have sold our kids. Talking about the high schools, junior highs all around us. Listen to me. They have sold our kids a bill of lies and sold parents a bill of lies. And you know what? They're saying teenagers cannot help themselves. uh, And so we better protect them by giving them condoms. Because they've bought into the mindset of the world that everybody's going to act like the Gentiles act or those who are without the Lord Jesus Christ in this instant. And so they say they're going to have sex anyway. We might as well give them birth control. Or people say it's just their immaturity. Listen, he goes on to say in verse number 8, if you have been saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The spirit of holiness. It is greater than anything else, any other influence in this world, this third person in the Trinity. He lives inside of us. He is God's spirit of holiness. And because he lives there, we are able to take control of our bodies. There is no excuse. 
When people give into their lust, they do not exercise self-control because Jesus and his word are not their sole authority. It goes back to that very first point. Who's your authority? Who are you listening to? Who are you following? Listen to me, teenagers. You that are in here today. If you are sexually active, the word says, take control of your body and quit making excuses. Somebody say amen. At least all the moms and dads help me out here. Men, ladies, listen to me. If you are involved in an affair, quit making excuses and obey God because he said this is the will of God for your life. Not to find another partner. Christian men, if you're involved in pornography, the lust of your eyes, the the lust of the flesh, take control and shut it down. Turn it off. If you can't control it, get rid of the computer. It is just that serious. Now on your way out the door, on the right, you can sign up for Covenant Eyes. And I'll say more about that next week. Next week, you've got to come back. I want to give you ten ways to keep yourself sexually and morally pure. And we'll go through them just one by one. Verse number eight. Listen to this. This is strong. This is not, this is just, I'm just reading it to you. I'm just giving it to you. Verse 8, therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. But God. I, there, there are people who live under the false assumption that they can move in together and live together and still come to church and still be a Christian. Paul says, if you do this kind of activity, you are rejecting God. It is impossible to be a Christian and live with your girlfriend. Help me out here, guys. Listen. He who rejects this does not reject man, but you are rejecting God. You, When you reject God as the authority in your life, and you begin to accept somebody else's authority that says it's okay, he says you are blatantly rejecting God. How can we have this dichotomy among ourselves today that says, you know what, I still love God and I still want to be a Christian, but I can live a homosexual lifestyle. I can live with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I can watch pornography. I can do this. I can do that. God's word says you are shutting out God. You are rejecting God. First Corinthians 7, 9. Listen to this one. If they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now Paul says, why move in with your boyfriend or girlfriend? It doesn't make sense. Just go ahead and get married. It blows my mind that people will come and say, you know, we want to go and marry. We've been living together about a year. We think we ought to get married now. I want to say, why didn't you do it a year ago? Why didn't you do it a year ago? Why, why do you have to live? Oh, we didn't have enough money for a big wedding. Well, so you're going to make a mockery of it? By sleeping together and living together, and then you're going to have a big ceremony, wear that white dress and come right down the middle aisle? Guys, listen, this, is, this happens all the time. Help me. I'm, I'm. He never said, if you cannot contain, move in together. 
He never said, if you cannot contain, you can go ahead and engage in premarital sex. He never said, if you cannot contain, you can gratify yourself sexually through masturbation. It's not in God's word. He didn't say that. He said, if you can't contain, get married. Get married. Now listen to me. Let's get real practical here. If, if you don't think that's the one you're supposed to marry, break up. You don't, don't get married, just break up. But if this person is Mr. or Mrs. Right, and you can do so in the Lord, get married. But quit messing around. There's a song. If you like it, then you should have put a ring on it. If you like it, you should have put a ring on it. (laughs) Everybody's heard that. Now, listen, I I, I hate to leave you hanging over a precipice of despair, but I got to finish next week. I'm out of time and we're going to pray. But but next week, I want to talk about the God's plan for the most incredible sex you will ever have in your life is in a marriage relationship where there's no guilt, no shame, no hang ups. And we're going to look at first Corinthians chapter uh, seven verses one to five. And he talks about that, how that, that our body belongs to each other and how this is the way God meant it to be and God meant it to happen. And he, he, he describes the beauty of it in a marriage relationship. So don't anybody get me wrong here to say sex is a dirty word. Sex, I said at the very outset, is created by God, by his own genius. It is, it is a wonderful gift that he has given to every single one of us. And I'm also going to talk next week about 10 ways to remain sexually pure. But the bottom line, listen to me, God is calling us to a higher standard. But the good news is God never calls us to a higher standard without giving us the wherewithal to get there. And so he, 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 he lays it on the Thessalonians, and then he comes down to verse number eight, and he says, but you know what? I've given you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will help you because he is inside of you. And through the Holy Spirit, you can remain pure. Teenagers, you can remain pure through the Holy Spirit within you. Young adults, you can remain pure through the Holy Spirit within you. Middle-aged men all by yourself at night, you can remain pure through the Holy Spirit who lives within you. Let me take you to one promise as I wrap it up. You see... Jesus Christ went to the cross, and when he died on the cross, he died there to take away the burden of sin and guilt and shame. And there's a promise in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. I'll close with this. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Now, he hit it right on the head when he said such as is common to man. This, this, this whole area is, is a battle. It's, it's a warfare that, that we, we fight all of our lives. But God, everybody say, but God, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape 
that you may be able to bear it. God will give you a way out. God will give you a way of escape. Now, it may not be easy, but the way is there. The way is there. And you will start by finding that way by turning your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts right there. It starts by your acceptance of him and his authority in your life as your Lord and as your Savior. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, right now, I thank you for every person here today. I thank you for your word that penetrates our hearts and our spirits and and just kind of wakes us up and shocks us and draws us back to you. And I pray, God, for anyone here today who may not know you as their Lord and as your Savior. I pray, God, that before this service ends today, you'll submit their lives, their wills, their bodies, their spirits, totally and completely to you. Touch them now, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.